This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. So what I want to do for the next seven weeks that we're going to be gathering here till the end of August at Lisi Lake is share some brief meditations on the prayers of the Apostle Paul throughout his different letters. And we're going to be taking a few minutes, not too long, I hope, on the first one of those. And, you know, Paul was a man of continuous, fervent, and effectual prayer. He was a great man in many ways, but um, he was a man of great prayer. And I think there's so much that we can learn from Paul as a model of a praying believer in Christ. Um, Paul really prays these huge prayers, prayers that are uh, worthy of the God that he worships and the kingdom that Paul is serving. And what's so neat about Paul's prayers, I think, is that Paul sees himself and these humble, ordinary Christians he's writing to as participants, as actors in this great cosmic drama of redemption that God is working through Christ and the Spirit. And in Paul's world, nothing and nobody is merely ordinary. We're people of destiny, not because of ourselves, but in the great purposes of God. So today, as we begin the first of our meditations, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit uses this to transform our own practice of prayer, and especially our prayer as we intercede for one another. So let's, let me read these verses from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, which you should have on your sheet in front of you. Let's listen to the word of God this afternoon. Paul writes, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. Now, there's actually a lot packed into these few verses, uh, far more than I can fully unpack for you this afternoon. But I just want to emphasize today how Paul's intercession comes out of a heart that's filled with thanksgiving for what God is doing in people's lives. Paul loved this little church in Thessalonica. These were people who had come to Jesus from Judaism and from, um, you know, paganism, worshiping idols, and they'd come to the Lord in an act of the Spirit's power. And Paul had, in a short time, obviously formed very tight relationships with these believers. And now, writing from Corinth, he is extremely eager to see them face to face, to face, to spend time enjoying fellowship and strengthening them in their own walk with God. But somehow, Paul writes in chapter 2, the way back to them has been blocked by Satan. Satan has thrown up some kind of barricade, some kind of obstacle, and Paul is not able to return to these people and see them face to face. And so Paul can only do two things. He can write this letter and he can pray. 
And I think there is a first lesson for us that whatever obstacles and frustrations we face, we can always pray. And I think sometimes if you're like me, you think that if I'm taken out of the picture, the kingdom of God cannot possibly proceed. I'm essential in God's purposes, and if I'm not there, active and busy, hustling and bustling, God's kingdom is going to come to a standstill. And in God's purposes, he allowed Satan to block Paul's way, to teach Paul, to teach us that God's kingdom ultimately is dependent only on himself and his own power. And Paul perhaps has been rerouting Paul and rerouting us to a greater dependence on him and his activity. But we can always pray. In fact, prayer is the best and most effective thing we can ever do in the kingdom of God. And when we pray, we, get to, we have the privilege of sharing in God's story and what he's doing in the world. You know, the greatest people in the kingdom are the humble who pray. The lowly, ordinary people of God who are praying in cramped apartments and little huts out in the middle of nowhere, under a tree perhaps, but who are laboring with the God of heaven to bring his kingdom in power in this world. And there's nothing stopping any man or woman or child here from being this kind of person in God's kingdom. A person who achieves much for God's purposes because we're laying hold of God's hand. Our highest privilege as Christians is to be intercessors, to be priests in the kingdom of God, to share in this work of bringing other people before God and asking him to work mightily on their behalf. This letter is perhaps the earliest Christian document that we have. It's the first of Paul's letters, probably. And in this letter, Paul thrills with excitement at what he had seen the Lord do when he was in Thessalonica. He had seen these people turn from idols to serve the living God. And he had seen them welcome the message of the gospel in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit, Paul writes. He says, you know what, when I preached the gospel and saw this response, I realized that my gospel wasn't just coming in words, but in power and the Holy Spirit and in deep conviction. And so when Paul thinks about these believers, his response is overwhelming thanksgiving for what God had obviously done. He's not congratulating himself for the natural reward of his own hard work and his own giftings and his own skills. This is something that God has done. And so when Paul thinks of these Christians, his heart overwhelms with thanksgiving, and he's filled with joy in God's presence at what God has done in their lives. So perhaps the first lesson in a life of intercession is this, that intercession can only begin from a heart of deep thanksgiving for God's work in people's lives. We can't pray for people that we're not thankful for. We can't pray for people that we're not thankful for. And real prayer that prevails with God begins with receiving the people in our lives, not as a trial or as an irritation, but as a gift 
from our Heavenly Father, an act of God's grace in our lives. We can't pray if we're ingrates, if we're complaining, whining, begrudging kind of people. And to begin this life of intercession, we need the Holy Spirit to be changing our hearts so that we receive our brothers and sisters, our husbands, our wives, our children, everyone in our lives, in God's family, as a gift from Him. So that we find joy in even thinking and praying for these people. Intercession is built on a thankful heart. Gratitude leads to love for other people, and it leads to greater faith for what, for what God might do in their lives. As we thank God and we cultivate this discipline of thanking God for what he's already done in people's lives, we find that our faith begins to rise for what God might yet do for them and for us. God, you've already begun a great work in this person's life. Now, Lord, complete and crown what you have begun. And of course, Paul recognizes, as we can see in these verses, that there is a lot yet for God to do in the church in Thessaloniki. His joy, his thanksgiving hasn't blinded him to their faults, to their immaturity, to things that still need to happen in their lives. And in verse 10, he speaks about what is lacking in their faith. You know, if you're like me, it's much easier to perceive people's faults than to perceive their good characteristics. I could speak very eloquently of the faults of my wife and my children. I wouldn't need to go away and think and chew my pencil. I could, at a moment's notice, speak with eloquence and at length about how I wish they would change. But to my shame, I can't do that as easily for the things that I am grateful for and for the evidence of the work of God in their lives. Paul, too, sees the faults and the weaknesses of these people, but his response is not to complain. His response is not to attack them and rebuke them. When Paul sees what is missing, his response is to pray for those things to God. And that's a really good model for us. As we rub elbows with the people around us and we become aware of areas that we need to grow, why not turn that awareness into prayer to God? God, I see that my brother or sister is lacking in this area. They're immature. They're sin in their lives. Lord, would you bless them? Would you pour your Holy Spirit upon them? Would you be at work in their lives, changing and shaping them so that they can conform to the image of Christ, just like I want you to do for me? And Paul prays, you see, night and day. He's praying earnestly and fervently and passionately to God. It's not just a casual, oh, well, I think of it, mention, lift up some brief little prayer to God. He's laboring and sweating in prayer for these brothers and sisters. Actually, earlier in this letter, Paul talks about working with his hands in this city night and day also. So he's working, he's building, he's constructing tents night and day, and he's also praying night and day. And you wonder, how did Paul possibly find time to sleep in such a busy schedule? And perhaps the answer is that as Paul was measuring and cutting and sewing these, the leather and cloth together, he was also lifting up people in prayer as he was working. 
No prayer for Paul is not a substitute for a ministry. He's not handing off his concerns about these people to God so that Paul can step back and let God take care of it. Notice that Paul does not pray, God, would you supply their needs? He says, God, send me so that I can supply their needs by the grace that you provide. But Paul wants to be the means and the instrument of what God is doing. It's like Isaiah when he has that experience of the holiness, the burning holiness of God. And then God says, who shall I send? And Isaiah steps forward saying, Lord, here I am. Send me. So as we pray for one another, we should be asking God, Lord, how might you be prompting and calling me to be a means of grace in people's lives, to build them up, to encourage them in some way, to supply by your grace what is lacking? And Paul is most eager to be present with these brothers and sisters, to be a minister of God's grace in their lives. Now, it's amazing how passionate Paul is about people. Paul cares very deeply about people. And he was a giant in so many ways. Theologically, with his charismatic experiences of the Spirit, with his active ministry throughout the Roman world. But yet, Paul always has time for people. He's always making time for people. And he wants nothing more than to be in Thessalonica in some crumbling tenement buildings, sitting across from the poorest, humblest believers who've just come out of paganism, but people who love Jesus and that Paul wants with all of his heart to be with so he can help them. And he's asking and pleading with God, Lord, clear the way. Satan has raised up a barrier and an obstacle, Lord, but you are sovereign over all of that. Just clear the way, Lord, open the way so that I can journey to these people and be with them in body just as I am in spirit so that I can help them grow in the life of faith. Now, Paul sees these gaps in these people's walk that he wants to help fill. Now, we don't have time to go into great detail on these today, but just to notice that, that Paul, first of all, wants their love for others to overflow and increase. He doesn't want this church to be a church where people are merely tolerating each other's presence, just in each other's company, but hanging back and reserved. He wants them to be overflowing and increasing and abounding with love. He wants this to be a church that is known for people pouring out their very hearts and selves in sacrificial, intense, fervent, passionate, brotherly and sisterly love for one another. It's a love that Paul models, but of course we look beyond Paul to see how Jesus models this kind of self-emptying love. And we're called to follow Jesus in loving people in the same way. And Paul prays for this, that God would change their hearts, because we know from experience that we can't just summon this up from the, our own heart of the flesh. We're all lazy and selfish and shamefully indifferent to one another. And so we must pray for ourselves and each other that God would transform our hearts to be like Jesus and to be a demonstration of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst. And I think we especially need to pray this for 
TICF because we have some special challenges, don't we, as an international church? We have all these cultural barriers that take effort. It's not easy to cross over and love someone who is very different from you and has very little in common with you. And so we have that barrier. Plus, we have people who are coming and people who are going. And after a while here, you're like, you know what? What's the point of investing in these relationships when this person's going to be gone in a year or two? You know what? I'll just kind of retreat into myself. I'll show up at church, have a few brief conversations, and then withdraw in order to protect myself from my heart being hurt as people are always leaving. But the Spirit of Jesus is calling us to truly love one another, even though, and especially when it's costly for us. And for that, we need to pray for one another to be this kind of people. Love for others and holiness before God are the two things that Paul zeroes in on. He prays for these believers and for us to have strong hearts so that we can be holy and blameless on the day that we finally stand before God. Paul knows that these Christians and every Christian who follows after is going to have to endure in the face of suffering and discouragement and temptation and opposition, and it's going to be a miracle if any Christian endures to the end. And we can't walk this hard, stony road unprayed for. We need our brothers and sisters to be lifting us up so we can endure, not just endure, but be changed so that when we stand before God, we can stand there confident, holy, and blameless. The Holy Spirit, having made each of us in our own way, truly like Jesus. It's a great destiny that Paul is praying into, standing in the presence of God when Jesus returns. And my hope as we go through this series of brief meditations is that God will help us to pray like Paul, to thrill with him at the mighty work of God among us in the lives of one another and to join with God in what he is doing. Isaac is going to hand out some uh, little prayer guides for you this week. I have five days of prayer based on these five verses that we've talked about. And I'd like to invite you this week to just take a few moments to tuck that sheet into your Bible and open it up and use this as a way to um, pray for your brothers and sisters here. Intercession begins with thanksgiving, with recognizing that God has given you other people in your lives as a gift. And may God help us experience that joy as we join with Christ and the Holy Spirit in interceding for one another. So let me close in prayer, and then we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to consume some food together and just enjoy each other's company. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we are so thankful for the gift of one another and what you have been doing in one another's lives. And yet, as you know, Lord, our thankfulness, well, we have a lot to grow in in that area. And we pray that you would change our hearts, that we be truly grateful people, 
open our eyes to perceive how you are at work and fill us with genuine love for each other. Love that drives us to our knees, that causes us to go to you to lift up one another's needs and weaknesses and gaps so that we might call down your grace, your power, and your love in their lives so that we might all stand together before your throne filled with joy and thanksgiving. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.